Welcome to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.vlchurch.tv. Some churches are praying for revival that have never come alive. That's right. 
And so this is what we're doing. We are going into a series, not just asking God for revival, which is what we're doing on May 5th for the National Day of Prayer. We are humbled and privileged to host a prayer gathering for the city again. May 5th, 6 p.m. right here. As Scott said, um, if you are available and can volunteer, we need some volunteers. I would love to connect with you. But if you uh, aren't available to come early and, and stay a little after the volunteer, we still invite you to come. Because we're going to be praying for revival. We're going to be praying for God to move in this nation. We're praying for things that are happening in the world. But the night is called Encounter because our desire is that God will first get a hold of us personally so that we can then walk with him to change the world corporately. Yes, that's right. So we're, we're praying for God to encounter everyone. It's going to be the first night. Our prophetic team is, is going to be on the scene. That's going to be awesome. And seeing how God is working and those identifying their spiritual gifts and beginning to walk that out should be a really special time. So I encourage you all to be here. But we are, we're going to be talking about revival. And I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants to make sure each and every one of us have been vibed before asking him for revival. That's right. Before seeking revival, we need to be revived. We need to be revived. And today, I just believe the Holy Spirit wants us to get lit. He wants to light us on fire. And so we're going to be discussing that a little bit today. But before we get into it, we're going to pray. Because the house of the Lord should be known as a house of prayer. We're going to ask... God to speak. Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us all here today. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Lord, we, we celebrated the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ last weekend, but God, that's not the end of the story. The story continues from the Gospels into the book of Acts and on even to our day and time right here, right now, where you have a purpose and plan for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. So God, may we not have deaf ears or blind eyes. God, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a mind that understands, and a heart ready to believe everything you've spoken, everything you're ready to say, where you want us to go, how you want to lead us, Lord. And may all who call in the name of the Lord Jesus today be in humble submission to everything that you ask, because God, you can do all things. All things are possible. And we have been called as your children to do Everything you've done, Jesus, and even greater, because there is one here, the Holy Spirit, who is with us each and every day. So God, we give you this time and our attention. We ask you to speak, and all God's people said, amen. amen and amen. So this, uh, this conversation is really exciting for me because I didn't grow up really looking at this Bible story in this way. I didn't really uh, talk about this event in history. The main events that we talked about in church were really the death and resurrection of Jesus. You know, that's pretty important, right? It's pretty important that we celebrate Good Friday and Easter. But there is an event that happens after the resurrection that is just as, if not more important for the day and time that we live today. There is an event that takes place. It's a miracle that not only causes thousands of people to become believers in Christ in a single moment, but it is the catalyst to share the gospel across the entire known world in one weekend. That's right. In one day. Amen. The gospel from this moment begins to explode all over the world from this singular event. And what happened on this day? This day 
was uh, called the Feast of Pentecost. There was a, a holy feast in Israel that took place 50 days after Passover. So Jesus was killed on Passover. He rose three days later. And with over the next 40 days, he begins to teach his disciples, give them the last instructions that he goes to give them, and he ascends into heaven. On the day of Pentecost, a miracle takes place, a fulfillment of the promises of God. And in this moment, Jews from every nation, tribe, and tongue, they had been scattered throughout the known world, they'd grown up in foreign lands, so they spoke foreign languages, they come back to this feast, it's one of their pilgrimage feasts, that they have to return to Jerusalem in order to observe. So now you have in the city, you have Jewish men and women from every nation, tribe, and tongue from all over the world gathered in one location on this day. Prime time for God to show up and show up. Amen. Prime time. So awesome what God does. And so on the day of Pentecost, we're told in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. There's about 120 followers of Jesus at this point. They were all together in one location. Why? Because their leader was no longer there. That's right. He left. And so they walked and talked with him for three years. They saw the massacre. And now they see him risen from the dead. They have renewed hope. But yet he leaves, and now they feel all alone. And Jesus had said, don't, don't leave Jerusalem. There's a promise coming. Stay in Jerusalem until that promise. So they're all together in one place. They're praying and meeting together. Verse 2, it says, suddenly. Somebody say suddenly. suddenly. The suddenlies of the Bible are awesome. That's right. The suddenlies are awesome. Whenever, whenever you see suddenly, get ready. Something cool is about to happen. Then suddenly, there's a sound from heaven, like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. There were looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Somebody say each of them. Yeah. All 120. That's right. The fire settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Yeah. This is the miracle of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls in that room. There's a, this whirlwind that happens in the city, in the room. Fire, like the greatest light show you can ever see in your life, is taking place in this room. And then they become filled, and the presence of God begins to manifest in their life. Amen. And this moment was so overwhelming. They couldn't contain themselves. The room couldn't contain what was happening. They, they burst out of the room, and they're still speaking in languages that they never knew before. They're speaking as the Holy Spirit is leading them. They're, they're overwhelmed with the presence of God. And the entire city that's there, in the town square, they all come out and are watching this thing happen because they heard the wind. They heard the sound. And so, right here in this moment, again, the scripture lists areas from the 70 nations, the known nations, known around the world, people from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and they all begin hearing the disciples speaking these languages and hearing them speak in their own language. So, if you think about these people that were generally uneducated, especially fishermen from Galilee, the poorest of the poor, and here they're speaking these languages that they had never known before, and what are they hearing? The marvelous works of God. Amen. These people are gathering for a feast, and they're hearing this group of 120 speaking the wondrous works of God and declaring them in their own languages. 
And in Acts 2, 12 through 13, it describes their response. It says they stood amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk. That's all. I love how honest the scripture is. Amen. You see, in this moment, this moment caught these people dead in their tracks. That's right. They were dumbfounded by the sound of the wind and the light show coming from the room. And then these people bursting out of the room, talking crazy, acting crazy, and proclaiming the, the words of God. This was not just a whole hum moment. Many people, especially if you have my same similar background, and you read the scripture, you what, read the Bible sanitized. That's right. Yep. Like, like it, it's glossy, it's boring, you don't really get into what's happening. This was not a whole hum moment. This was the moment. Amen. This was the moment. As they're speaking. Now, what's funny is that some of them are accusing them of being drunk. How would you have to be behaving to be accused of being drunk? Here they are in the presence of the Lord. That's right. People are watching what they're doing, That's right. and they're accusing them of being drunk. Yeah. You know, if you've seen somebody speak a foreign language, you're not going to accuse them of being drunk. They're doing something more than just speaking a foreign language. It's like, ah, 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 ah,
blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark, the moon will turn blood red before the great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Yes. Yes. It's like this is happening. You, you want to know when the kingdom of God is coming? Watch for the Spirit being poured out. The Spirit's being poured out. And if the Spirit will continue to be poured out, the, the presence of the Lord will continue to manifest and until the signs of the heavens come in the great and glorious day, the day of judgment, the day God puts an end to sin once and for all, when that trumpet sounds and Christ returns, this will continue to happen. And anyone who calls out to the Lord will be saved. No one's exempt. Joel prophesied about a new era for humanity, an era of the outpour of the Holy Spirit. And those the Spirit is poured on will manifest his presence. In Acts 2, we see him speaking in tongues. In Joel 2, it was prophecy. In 1 Corinthians 12, there are nine other gifts of the Holy Spirit, manifestations of the presence of the Spirit in the life of believers. And the question is, why does the Spirit manifest in believers this way? It's to glorify Christ and to build up his church. It's to glorify Jesus and to build up the church of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 16, Jesus is talking about the one who would come, the comforter, the Spirit of God. And he says the Spirit of God is going to do some things. He's going to lead you into all truth. He's going to help you discern truth from falsehood. He's going to help you know the will of God to confirm the message that Jesus had been teaching them. But he's also going to tell you future things. He's going to tell you the future. This is the, the prophetic gifting, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, and prophecy. So now in this moment on Pentecost, as the disciples are overcome in the presence of the Lord, they are speaking in other tongues. They are overflowing with joy and exuberance in the presence of the people. And as Peter is standing up preaching a gospel message, as he's talking about Jesus and how Jesus was slain for sin, and that, that we need to repent of our sin and turn to Christ, it says conviction fell on all the crowd. That, that they were so overwhelmed with what God was doing, it drew them in, and conviction fell on their heart. And in Acts 2, 37 to 39, it says Peter's words pierced their heart. When God speaks to you, he has a way of cutting through all the junk. Amen. And getting to the most tender moment, the most tender place in your heart. That's right. But the difference between man and God is man does his wound, God does his wound. Amen. And God spoke to their hearts. Yes. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? We recognize that we're guilty, we're sinners. We recognize that we put Jesus on the cross, that we rebelled. We, we recognize he did all this stuff. We recognize what God is doing in our midst. The spirit is falling. What, what should we do? And Peter replies in verse 38, he says, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then, somebody say then. Yeah. You see there, then, it's transitional. It's like, do this, and then something's going to happen. Do this, and then something's going to happen. What's the then? Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Repent of your sin and turn to Christ. Turn to God. Put your faith and trust in Him. 
and then you receive the gift of your Holy Spirit. Peter's telling them, if you want the gift of the Holy Spirit, you need to first be spiritually alive. We talked about last week, you need to be born again. Yes, amen. By repenting of your sin and turning to God in faith in Christ Jesus, the Spirit of God brings your dead spirit to life and brings about new birth in your heart. This is called being born again. And then the Apostle Paul, he talks at length about not just believing, but also confessing. Amen. Making a public confession of your faith, telling people you're a follower and believer of Jesus. Amen. And that's what baptism, water baptism, really is. It's a public confession that I have repented of my sins, I'm dead with Christ in baptism, and I've risen with him according to his glorious resurrection. That's right. I once was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. And so if you want the gift of the Holy Spirit, you need to be born again, and you need to take that step of obedience by being baptized, and you'll receive the gift of the Spirit. Verse 39 says, this promise is to you, to your children, and those who far are far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. This gift of the Holy Spirit was not just for the 3,000 in that moment. It wasn't just for the 120. It wasn't just for the apostles. It wasn't just for the early church. It was for them, their children, and us in this room. Those who are far away. Amen. Those who are far away. Now, if you had a background similar to me, this is where the religious folks begin to uh, jump in. And they say, well, see, Paul gave us a formula, or Peter gave us a formula. It says, repent, be baptized, and then you'll get the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if you've not been baptized, you, you can't have the Holy Spirit yet because you need to be dunked in water. That's necessary. There's a formula. There it is. He said it. This is the Bible. Follow the formula. Well, the problem with that is Peter, a few chapters later, goes to a Gentile's house, in the house of Cornelius. God meets him in a dream to go preach. And he doesn't even get his sermon done before the Spirit falls. That's right. He goes with the Spirit. Amen. And they begin speaking in tongues and manifesting the presence of the Lord. That's and right. the other Jewish disciples were looking at each other like, that doesn't fit our model. That doesn't fit our formula. That's our penalty. Baptized the gift, but that's funny. They, they didn't even like verbally repent. They're just baptized in the Spirit. Like, how, how do we manage that? You gotta be careful to open God in the box. There you go. Yeah, and then we have God figured out how to something break the box. Yeah, that's right. And so it's not required that you're water baptized before you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is required is that your heart is connected to God. There you go. Hallelujah. That you've given Jesus your heart. And those Gentile believers, they were so eager for the Word of God, so eager to hear about Jesus that they believed before Peter even got to the altar call. And the Spirit fell upon And this gift of the Spirit is what we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have water baptism, but there's another baptism. It's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist says he's referring to Jesus. People are asking him, well, who are you, John? Are you the Messiah? Are you the one that's supposed to come? He's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand in Matthew 3.11, he said, I baptize with water those who are repenting of their sins and turning to God. But there's someone coming who's greater. Who's greater than I am. So much I'm not even worthy to be a slave and carry his sandals. That's right. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Somebody say the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So there are actually two aspects to this baptism that Jesus is going to pour out. That's right. Jesus pours out this spirit on all who believe, but he pours it out in two ways. First, it's his presence, the presence of the spirit, and then it's the fire of the Holy Spirit. There's the presence when we're born again. He comes to live inside of you, and then there is the fire. I love this word fire. It can also be translated as lightning. There have been times I've experienced the presence of the Lord. It felt like I put my finger in a light socket. Yes. Yes. Sap from head to toe. Yes. Yes. I know what that feels like. And that word lightning is an apt description. That's right. So it can be fire or lightning. What do those represent? What do those words describe? They describe the token of power. That's right. They're tokens of power. <laughs> So Jesus pours out his spirit on all who believe, his presence in you to bring you to be born again. But then also, there's a baptism of power. In Acts 1.8, Jesus tells his disciples to wait in Jerusalem, and he says, you will receive power. Somebody say power. Power. You'll receive power when the who? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word power is the Greek word dunamis. Or we get the word dynamite. That's right. Boom! When the Spirit comes upon you, He blows your life up. That's pretty awesome. It transforms. So when the Spirit comes upon you, you receive the dunamis, the power of God. And then something happens. When this power comes upon you, you will become my witnesses. And you'll tell people about me all over the world. The purpose of the spirit of baptism upon you, the presence of God coming in you, is to connect you to the heart of God as you are born again. The baptism of the Holy Spirit of fire is to anoint you with the power to enable you to live the Christian life. Amen. Yes. And what is the Christian life? It is the life to be a witness for Jesus Christ. This is why there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is why they began to manifest the presence of the Lord and spiritual gifts began to come alive and they were speaking in other tongues because there were those among them that had never heard about Jesus. And God wanted to make those people sure they met with God. That they had an encounter. They had an experience. You see, beloved, if you're not interested in being a witness for Jesus, you don't need the baptism of the Spirit. The baptism of fire. Because it's for a purpose. It's a purpose so that you have the power to make Jesus famous wherever you are, wherever you are. And to help Jesus build the kingdom of God. But beloved, you need the baptism of fire because miracles come from the message. We grew up, and our church taught us to go door to door and knock on doors, give us a formula of verses to read, to convince people to come to Christ in that singular encounter. That's right. And on the rare occasion, somebody that was really hungry but wanted to already receive Jesus, they would receive Jesus, and it was awesome. But the usual response was, eh, it's okay. All right, this is what you have to say. Oh, that's nice. I appreciate you coming by. But. And nowadays, if you were to knock on the door, they're not going to open the door. Their little doorbell is going to scream at you. And they're like, get off my property. 
And so there, there are things that we were trained to do when we were younger, mentality of what it is to be a witness of Christ, that not only are normally unaffected, but it puts a bad taste in our mouth because we feel discouraged and defeated all the time. Amen. Amen. But when the presence of God is released in a situation, in a circumstance, like Scott was saying, he felt like the Lord told him to encourage that waitress, change your day. Yeah. You know God has a sense of humor. Amen. Like, the Bible's funny. He made us. Like, he made a donkey talk. Amen. That's funny. Amen. That's funny. Like, he did a lot of funny stuff. He's done a lot of funny things. And so, God has a sense of humor. And sometimes God will give us something very simple to do that has a profound impact in somebody's life. Uh, just the uh, last week, I was at the gym. I was working out. There's this guy that's there that is there usually every morning. I have literally zero conversations with him. I say hi and bye to him, trying to be friendly, trying to find some way to connect with him. And I'm working out next to him, and the Lord speaks to my heart. He says, that guy wants you to pray for him. And I'm like, how do you know? It's going to be awkward. <laughs> All right, well, give me an opportunity. I'm going to wait until he finishes set. You know, I might be interrupted. So he puts his weights down. And I'm like, hey, bro, I'm Joey. And it's like, him, my name, and gives me his name. And I was like, this is going to be the worst conversation you've probably had in a while. But I hear voices. just by going through the religious motion. My wife, I love her to death. She's such a gifted worship leader. I pray to God for her. If she was singing just out of her heart, we're not doing a routine anymore. We're not going through the motion. Yes, the motions kill the relationship with God. Thank you. Thank you. Following Jesus and following the Spirit, it's an exciting adventure every day. Yes. If, it, if you're not nervous leaving your house about what God's going to bring you into, you ain't doing it right. That's right. I mean, I'm serious. Like, it is an adventure that is so exciting, and, and I'm going to keep all the deodorant companies in stock because I sweat so bad all the time. Like, it's like, okay, God, all right, we can do this. We can do this. 
But this is for every believer. And it's important to know that the baptism of the Spirit, this baptism of fire, is not a reward. It's a gift. There you go. That's right. You can't earn it. No. It's a gift. And what I love is that word gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit that Peter's talking about. That word gift can be translated as gratuity. Yes. When you go to the restaurant and your waiter or waitress does a great job, what do you give them? A gratuity. A gift. It's a gift. It's a tip. Who is this gift for? All those who repent of their sin and turn to Christ and are baptized into his church. Okay, so then God gives you a gratuity. So think about this. The God of heaven is so pleased with your decision he blesses you with a gift. Yes. God, I thought I was supposed to please you with my life. Yeah, but guess what? When you do, I'm pleased with you. And what do I want to give as the only good God, as the only good Father? I want to give you a gift. And it's the Holy Spirit. It's my presence in you. And it's my power upon you. And it's available to all who desire it. Again, we get these things confused that the dwelling of the Spirit and the baptism of fire. But I just want to highlight this. The night of the resurrection, as Jesus has risen from the dead, that day, the disciples are freaked out. That's right. They're like, he's dead? We're done. We're doomed. They're coming for us next. And then they're meeting together. I tell you, Jesus is funny. Amen. Because he pops in the room out of nowhere. Like, you know, it's like, I just have to be there. It's like, ta-da! You don't believe it's me, here's the scars, you can can see for yourself. And it's like, you you know that somebody had to change their shorts. (laughs) You know. If that were you, you know, you'd be like, (laughs) unclean, unclean, unclean. He shows up. And that night, again, in John chapter 20, Sunday evening, in verse 20, as Jesus spoke, and he's showing them his hands and his wounds in his side, it says they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Like, you have to just feel that if you were them in that moment. And he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. To what? To be my witnesses. And then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. This is 49 days, 47 days before Acts 2. That's right. Before the day of Pentecost. So on this moment, he breathes on them to receive the Holy Spirit. Now he said, Receive. That word receive means take by the hand. That's right. To receive it. So you have to know. There was never a time Jesus declared something and it didn't happen. When he spoke to the bush, it withered instantly. When he spoke to the storm, it calmed instantly. When he spoke to the dead one, it raised from the dead. When he spoke to the disease, it was healed instantly. When he spoke to the devils, they were cast out. Nothing Jesus did never happened when he said. And so here in this moment, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. What's happening? In this moment, every disciple is becoming born again. The resurrection is here. Now you can have new life. You're being born again. But he says, but you need to wait 
Because something else is coming. You have the baptism of the Spirit in you, but something needs to come upon you. And we see that in Acts 1.8, the power of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God comes to live in you in salvation, but he comes upon you at an appointed time to equip you and empower you for ministry. That's what he does. And I love how this moment in Scripture, it's marked by fire, not because it just represents power, but a blazing fire, unhindered, spreads and is unquenchable. It is unstoppable. If you think about the wildfires in California, when they burn, like we can try to do stuff to slow it down, but it's devastating. When the fire of God comes upon you, it's meant to unleash you into the kingdom of darkness, to light it up and devastate it. To be a devastating representative of the kingdom Amen. of God in a world lost in darkness. Amen. So the Spirit comes into you at salvation, but it comes upon you in ministry. And this blood is something religion can never do. That's right. It doesn't matter how many times you attend church, it doesn't matter how many religious prayers you recite, the religion cannot accomplish this in your life. We need the presence and power of the Spirit to do it. And this, these disciples, they're encountering the Spirit. In Acts 2, they, they've got this encounter, this presence of God, the fire upon them, the tongues, the wind, all this amazing stuff. I mean, if you were there, you'd be blown away by what was happening. And you would think that now that the disciples have experienced this, that they would never doubt, they would never be afraid, that they would never need another touch from God. Like, I'm upset the rest of my life. I'm good. Right? I've got all I need to get. That's not the case. God was moving in them. He was leading them in Acts chapter 3. Uh, Peter and John see this lame man outside the temple and they heal him in Jesus' name. He was crippled for over 30 years. And they heal him in the name of Jesus. And that makes the religious people angry. You know when you make religious people angry, you're doing something right. You are. They hate God's power in the life of someone who's not bound by their rules. Yeah, that's right. They hate it. But they heal them, and so the religious guys get angry, and they arrest Peter and John. Word gets to the other disciples, and guess where they go? They huddle up again. They're in a room, freaked out. Peter and John are released, and in John chapter 4, they come back, and they kind of describe what happened and what took place. And these believers that are all freaked out, they don't begin to panic. They begin to pray. I think if this had been pre-Pentecost, it would have been panic. But now, they begin to pray. Why? Because the last time they all prayed together in one accord in one place, awesome things happened. <laughs> so now they're going to do it again. Like, we believe God is the same yesterday and today and forever. If he did it last time, he's going to do it again. So they get together and begin to pray. And here's what they pray in Acts 4.29. Oh Lord, oh Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness. Somebody say boldness. Boldness. Boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done in the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the word of God with boldness. Think about what just happened. They had already been filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. 
They were already working in signs, wonders, and miracles. But fear and their circumstances became an enemy to their faith, and they began to be filled with doubt and a little anxiety and unease, and they needed to be filled again. They needed another filling of God, another encounter with God to jumpstart their faith and get them realigned with God's purpose, plan, and promises. And they were filled, and they were not just filled with the presence, they were filled with boldness. This encounter realigned them, reconnected them, and then they went and preached in boldness. The encounter wasn't just to have an experience, it was to set them loose for a purpose. What I think causes many of us confusion as we especially talk about the baptism of the Spirit is that yes, it's a separate event from your salvation, but often the fire that is lit when we first encounter the presence of the Lord begins to wane even dim over time. And it needs to be filled again. It needs to be a fresh outpouring, a fresh alignment, a reset to recalibrate our hearts, minds, and faith with the truth of God. So just because you've had an experience with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that's the only experience you need to have. You need to be filled again. And when you find your life is more discouraging than encouraging, when you find that you're not feeling close to the Lord anymore, you can't really hear His voice, the joy's been sucked out of your life, you have constant dysfunction and discouragement, the Spirit of God stands primed and ready to come on all who want to be filled again and recalibrated in order to do what God has called you to do. Life has a way of getting in the way of God's purpose and plan for your life. If you're a child of God, you have one purpose. Make Jesus famous. Share his love. Share the gospel. See people come to faith and come to know the same God that you know. That's your one purpose. To be a witness for Christ. He saved you to speak about Jesus. He empowered you to display his goodness in your life. And when life comes against you, the first thing that begins to stay away is our ministry, our faith, our connection to the body of Christ. We isolate. We go on alone. I think this is the reason why many churches will have revival meetings year after year after year because the momentum and the excitement the year before, after about six months, begins to die down. Because we're in a spiritual battle. And in battle, we get wounded. That's right. Always. We get wounded. That's right. And so we need to seek God for a fresh outpour to ignite the flame of faith in the hearts of the people. But again, when discouraging times come, we often run to whatever will make us feel better. But nothing can comfort us like the comfort. Nothing can comfort us like the Holy Spirit. Hearing the presence and love of God. Ephesians 5.18, Paul writes to the church of Ephesus, he says, don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Don't run to substances. Don't run to things that are superficial and artificial, that create addiction. Don't, don't run to the things of this world that the world is telling you you need in your life that will make you happy or make you fulfilled. Don't run to that stuff. It'll ruin you. Because there's only one of them. But he says, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. 
Be filled. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is a choice. But it's also a divine privilege. That's right. A divine privilege. Amen. God in me. Christ in me, the hope of glory. God on me, the power of salvation in the life of those who believe. It's an awesome privilege. What I think what trips a lot of people up is that many don't have many personal experiences with the Holy Spirit. Some make up a life about experiences. That's another story. But some don't have many experiences with the Holy Spirit. We begin to look at other people who have had more experiences with, than they have, and they begin to think, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. Amen. Maybe God doesn't love me as much as he loves other people. And whoever that is a lie from the pit of hell. That's right. God doesn't love anyone more than anyone else. Jesus said the Father will give the Holy Spirit to all who ask. Jesus, or Peter said, if you give Jesus your heart and life, the Spirit of God will not be withheld from you. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But what we don't understand about the Holy Spirit and the fire that ignited us before is the reason we keep doing revival meetings, talking about revival, is because the fire that seems intense at first, when we first experience them, will die down over time, and it's up to us to fan it back into flame. To fan the flame that was given to us at first. And this is part of our relationship with God. Uh, Timothy was a young protege of the Apostle Paul. He was put over the church of Ephesus, and he was struggling in his faith, struggling in his ministry, struggling in his call. And Paul tells him in 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, he says, this is why I remind you to fan into flame. Somebody say fan into flame. Fan into flame to the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Other scriptures will say sound mind. So, so you are you're struggling, you're discouraged. Okay, you don't maybe need another encounter with the Spirit. You just need to fan into flame what you already received. Yeah. Yeah. Keep fanning into flame because if it's burning hot in your life, nothing can quench that fire. Yeah. Nothing can take you down. Fanning into flame, the spiritual gift, the presence of God in your life, your connection to Christ. What has been given to you as the manifestation of his presence, seek after it, grow in knowledge, grow in the love and faith of God, and in confidence in who you are and whose you are. Yes. Fan into flame. See, beloved, none of us have arrived. We, we, we don't get to a place where we achieve the perfection of God. Exactly. And none of us started out as wildfire. Our first encounter with the Spirit was like pouring lighter fluid on coals. Anybody like to use a charcoal grill? I can't stand it. Especially the self-lighting ones that don't light. Like you run out of food in your lighter before they catch fire. It doesn't matter like how much lighter fluid you pour the lighter fluid on it. It's like, you know, it's big. I'm like, all right, we got this. And then it out. But the first encounter we have with the Holy Spirit is often like that. It's, it's a big fire, but it will die down quickly. And if you don't keep it stoked, you don't continue to work in uh, your relationship with God to get those coals hot and burning, then they're going to fizzle out and they're going to do you no good. Beloved, none of us have arrived. God's waiting for your heart to be fully surrendered, to be in a place where it can be filled because in our flesh, we can want the gift of the Spirit, but we can want it for all the wrong reasons. That's right. 
We can one encounter. Oh, wouldn't it be so awesome to have another story? So awesome to have that feeling again when I felt that and it felt so good. But we can want it for the wrong reasons. James right. 4 3 says, even when you ask, you don't get it because the moment's going on. That's right. Yeah. Preach it. We can ask God for a lot of things, things that He wants to give us, but when we have the wrong motive, we can't expect to receive it. Motives matter. That's right. In Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer wanted to pay Peter for the gift of the Spirit, and Peter's like, You can't have a part in this. You're bound. You need to repent. That's right. You need to get your heart right before God. When your heart's right, then come back and see it. So there might be some issues in your heart preventing the Spirit of God to work in you like He wants to. This was my story. I've been in church almost my whole life. was in ministry, was planting a church, seeking after God, but there was stuff in my life I had not surrendered back to the Lord. I was trying to keep it hidden, keep it secret, so that I could solve it on myself. No one else could find out about it. I wouldn't be humiliated or embarrassed, and, and people would just continue to think well of me like I was hoping that they would. But God had to break me down to let loose the stuff that was really in his way. And the moment it was gone, then the encounters came. Yes, then the experiences came. Then the stories came. Other reasons we may not experience the Spirit may be an issue of spiritual maturity. Recently, we bought a new puppy. We have a picture of our new puppy. I want to introduce you to a member of our family. This is Finn. He's a golden doodle. Finn uh, was a surprise birthday present for our daughter London. She had been asking for years for a puppy, even writing us letters and making videos to convince us. Like, she could have a job writing PSAs, and she's pretty good at doing that. But we got Finn with the Golden Needle, and one of the things that my wife and I, Tony and I, uh, you know, after we came and decided we were going to do this, one of the things we determined early on is that this was going to be a big dog, and with big dog comes big destruction. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So training and exercise had to be like right away. I want to show you uh, another picture of Finn. It's kind of fun. We started this off. <laughs> this is how these dogs sleep. I don't even know how this is comfortable, but uh, we're on this uh, little, little page on Facebook. And yeah, we saw this. I, I don't know how the spine does that. <laughs> but this is not uncommon. She posted that to the Google page, and a lot of you know people responded to that. This is just what they do. This is how they are. But uh, he's hilarious. He's so funny. Um, but we decided we had to train him right away. Untrained animals, especially big dogs, are a nuisance. They're a headache, and no one really likes being around them because they jump all over you, they, they make a mess of things, they get into stuff. It's all fun and games until they knock you down from behind and start doing the death shake on your ankle. You know, and so we knew we had to train him right away. And so I took it upon myself to start walking him almost every day. Just walking him, walking. When we started, the dog, you know, we would take him out to the yard and, and on a leash, and he would do his business, and we got pretty fine. But the minute you try to start walking with him, he would sit down, make his feet into the ground, and like stretch his neck out. And like that dog wasn't moving. 
<laughs> Even when we got close to the, the concrete, he would I think he thought the concrete was lava, like the street was lava. He would not want to go. I think we'd get into the street and he would just sit there and I would literally be dragging him down the street. And he's just like sitting here, just like this, getting dragged down the street. And I would pick him up and walk him for a little bit and then set him down. He'd walk with me for a minute and he'd sit down and just drag him. And over and over and over again, day after day after day, we'd go through this process, this exercise. And so finally, uh, he began to break out of that, began to see that he could trust me, that this wasn't, it wasn't a trouble, this wasn't a fearful thing. And he began to walk with me, and we'd be able to walk short distances, and we would reward him. And then uh, I take him out the next day, we go through the same thing. And now, I, he's at the place where he walks almost perfectly, I just have to correct him a little bit, and he, with the leash, anytime like, he gets distracted, or Maybe he wants to stop and smell something or, or uh, you know, something that grabs his attention. I'll just have to correct him a little bit. And he corrects almost himself with a command or a little tap on the leash. And he's good to go. It's pretty awesome. And now we can go for a couple miles. Now, here's the deal. When we adopted Finn, he became ours. He belonged to us. He was in our family. But he was still in the place where he thought that he was in control of his own life. <laughs> He could go where he wanted to go, do what he wanted to do, make his own decision. And in that state, he could not become the good dog we knew he could be and experience the favor of learning more He needed some help. He needed to learn to be obedient, to follow my lead, to unlock his potential. When we gave our hearts to Jesus Christ, we entered into his hands. We became his. But for many of us, we still live like an untrained puppy. We're living for ourselves. We haven't learned to be obedient, how to recognize his voice, how to follow his commands, to trust his leadership in our lives. And the truth is, the reason for the cross of Jesus is because we don't have it in us to do everything we need. We need him. That's why Jesus died for sin and sent the Holy Spirit to empower us to the Christian life. But Jesus is our shepherd. He's leading us. He's the one out front directing where we should go. You know what the Holy Spirit is? It's like our leader. He's You're our connection to God. He's what connects us to the shepherd. When I walk Finn and he's walking, sometimes he'll get excited and he'll try to speed up. Or he'll get distracted and he'll slow down. And so I have to use the leash to pull him back when he's going too fast and pull him forward when he's slowing down. Just like the Holy Spirit, when we aren't where we should be, moves us forward. You got it. Or when we're getting ahead of God, pulls us back. That's right. When we get distracted about the squirrel on the side of the road and we want to run after it, he gets our attention to put it back on Jesus. Because when we're dialed in, see, any good dog, if they're a good dog and they're a good walking dog, they never take their eyes on their owner. They're looking for where they're going to go, what you're going to do, what your disposition is. They know if you're tense or if you're relaxed. They're watching and they're sensing you all of the time. 
And the leech is one of those mechanisms that connects you, that enables them to sense a lot of that stuff going on in your life. And Jesus is our shepherd. The Holy Spirit is what connects us. In Galatians 5, 16, Paul says, Then I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. If you're walking in the Spirit, like a good dog, with the Savior, you're not going to dart to the left or to the right. You're not going to get distracted. You're not going to slow down. You're not going to speed up. You're going to see right where God wants you to be. You're always paying attention to what your owner is doing. You're occupied in the Spirit of God. You're occupied with what God is saying, what He's doing, how He's feeling, and everything that is motivating His heart, and you're moving in His flow as you are in an agreement with Him. Yes. Yes. The Spirit of God reveals truth, He convicts, He empowers, He teaches, He trains, and when we get distracted in this life, we take our eyes off Jesus, where He's there to correct us. This is how the Spirit of God works in our lives. And beloved, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, don't stifle the Spirit. Yes, amen. Don't stifle it. That can be translated like this. Don't quench the Holy Spirit's fire. That's right. Don't quench His presence in your life. He's there for a reason. He's there to bring us forward, to pull us back, to keep us right where God intends for us to be. Why? So we can fan into flame the gift that we received. When we're walking in step with our owner, we can cover more ground and we can accomplish infinitely more. And we can receive the favor of God. You know when we have a good walk? Finn gets a treat. He gets a pat on the back. And you know when we walk in step with Jesus? We receive the favor of and this is what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. So through this series, we're, we're talking about fanning the flame of personal revival. But corporate revival, revival in the church, doesn't happen unless we're revived individually. Thank you. Unless we're all connected. We're all pursuing. In Acts 2, the fire was lit. In our church this year, we talked about moving. We had the 22 days of prayer. The series on Jesus, I believe the fire has been lit. Yes, amen. Now the question is, are we going to fan yes. in the flame? Yes. I believe some of you here today, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need a touch from the Lord. Some of you have gotten away from the Lord. You're discouraged in your Christian life, and you need to be refilled again. Yes, amen. There's been some stuff in your life that's been pulling against what God wants for you, and you need a time of recalibration. You need to be touched again. But beloved, if you want the gift of the Holy Spirit, you want His power in your life so you can fulfill what God wants you to do, it first begins with opening your heart and giving it to the Lord. Whether you don't have a relationship with Him now, or you've known Him for years, if you want the Spirit of God to come upon you and work through you, it begins by giving Him your heart. The music begins to play and we begin to draw to a close. I'm going to a time of response. Let me encourage you. If you are here today and you want a touch from the Lord, when we stand, Tony begins to sing and lead us. We encourage you to make your way down to the front. Of some people in our prayer team down here, I'll be down here. And we're going to pray over you. 
We're going to let the Holy Spirit do whatever he wants to do. If you need to receive Jesus as your Savior, if you don't have a relationship with God, you come forward, and we'll be excited to help you connect your heart to Jesus for the first time. To you know your sins are forgiven, that you have a home in heaven, and that God will be your Father for all eternity. If you need a fresh anointing, a fresh love, we want to pray and partner with the Holy Spirit to do that. And something may happen. You may experience something that's going to change your life today. Or maybe you don't. The disciples had to wait for the right time to receive an encounter from the Lord. And maybe God wants to work in your life to get some things out of the way. Help you surrender before His power comes upon you. Whatever happens, we stand with you. We'll continue to pray that God is in your life. And I believe revival is already underway. I believe that God is doing something across the world that we've never seen before. And I am just crazy enough to ask the Lord to begin to do it here and in big ways. So if you're in agreement with me, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, just like those disciples in Acts 4 came together to pray, God, we ask for an impartation of boldness, that your presence would fall in this place, that you would fall and you would recalibrate us and realign us to what you're doing, Holy Spirit, you would begin to correct what needs corrected, convict us where we need convicted, God, that you would comfort what needs to be comforted, and that your fire would fall on us so that when we leave this place, God, not only do we know we've met with you, but we're empowered to accomplish your will for our lives. God, I pray for the heavy-hearted and discouraged. I pray for those who are struggling in a relationship with Jesus and their faith. I pray for those who feel unworthy, unvalued, who feel like they're left behind or they've waited too long or whatever the enemy's lying to them about right now. God, I pray that you would give us boldness to follow you. And as we lay hands on folks, God, I pray that your spirit will so touch people, so grab people, God, that you be on the lips of everyone here for days and weeks to come. Follow on us afresh, God. Pour your spirit out. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand our feet. The spirit of God is touching on your heart. Come. You want a fresh fill, a fresh anointing? From all of us at Vertical Life Church, we want to say thank you for listening. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please consider making a tax-deductible donation to www.blchurch.tv forward slash give. Thank you and God bless.